The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. I'm going to return to the syllabus and we'll be more, uh, more nuts and bolts for the rest of our evening here, but hopefully good nuts and bolts. It, uh... Okay, course requirements. If you, we're down there on the bottom of the, of the first page. Actually, it looks like people are still trickling in. Is there a question or two that someone wants to fire? Yes, speak loud. What are, what are those courses? You know, just by saying the first one, I realize I don't know. So, yeah, give, give a call to the registrar and find out the, the deal. Okay. Any other questions floating around at this stage? Probably not so much content questions, because we'll have time for that later, but more mechanics? Yes. Okay, the, uh, the place you call is Westminster Media. And where they're located in this building, and they're not open at night, unfortunately, here, but they're located right back at that corner, uh, the, uh, which I guess what, the southwest corner of the building. Uh, I might, Miracles of Modern Technology, I might have their number here. Um, okay, Westminster Media is uh, area code 215-572-3804. That's if you're uh, local. That's... Uh, they also have an 800 number, which is uh, 987-8273. Now, I, I might have old numbers. The Westminster Seminary number, uh, if you don't get through, is 887-5511, and they, they can connect you in there to media. So that's uh, Westminster Media if you need to get tapes. If you need to miss a week, you know, as I said, or if you for some reason want to tape. Pardon? You know, could I, could I, actually, let me make a point about our interaction. I am deaf in one ear. And what, one of the things that means, well, the best thing about it is I got out of Vietnam. Because if they're shooting at you in the jungle and you can't tell from what direction, you know, you're not much good as a grunt. So uh, it did get me out of get shot at. But it means I have no directional hearing. So uh, make motion if you want me to look at you and find you. Oh, Okay. Good. Yes. Oh, good. Yes. Uh, oh, it didn't get in the syllabus. Usually it's here. Uh, snow number, which is about, I don't think we've ever had a snow day in the fall semester. I mean, it would be a snow blizzard before Thanksgiving, but the snow number is 379. And uh, it's Montgomery County. And if you listen to KYW 1060... You'll get it, or you can go to kyw.com and look it up in the morning. So, so yeah. You can, can you get online? Because, yeah, three, it's kyw.com would uh, uh, have all the snow numbers get posted. Okay. Any other questions? Yes. I think there is. I, I think what he said it was 4 or $5. 
for the class, for each class, something like that. Yeah. We got all these bootleg ones up front, so if you want it cheaper but not such good quality, you might be able to get it from someone else. Okay, well, why don't we let's uh, let's push forward. We're we're uh, bottom of page one. We're gonna not have as many digressions here. Just kind of move through the mechanics. Within the classroom, that's that first paragraph. Um, I'm doing almost all the talking tonight. That makes sense because you got to have something to interact with. So, but in throughout the semester, I anticipate interaction. I like interaction. And uh, for example, next week, uh, probably the, the, the after the break, we'll we'll do the whole thing with interaction. We're going to look at a case study, and I just want to hear what you think about the case study. Uh, I actually, I like interaction with 100 people, and it works. So uh, I, I like questions. I like to play off questions, interact with questions. And it, I'll tell you something of my, of my quirks, because this can be frustrating to, to some learners, and yet helpful for others, but probably for everyone helpful to know how I tend to operate, you know, strengths and weaknesses. There, there are several different ways that a lecture can work. I mean, I suppose one way is they can just be chaotic, right? They don't know where they're going. I'm not, it's not chaotic, however it might look. <laughs> to the best of my ability, there is a method to the madness. That's one option. Second option is the kind of ABC, you know, one, two, three type lecture. I don't work that way. I don't think in straight lines. I think in pictures. So it's, it, the, the way I tend to work, maybe I could most liken it to like a rose window or something. It, I think in a picture. And if you ask me a question, if that question is relevant to where we are, I might start talking about it over here or over here or over here or here. But it's all part of a, of a big picture. And not, I'm, you know, I can get off on the bunny trails as well as anybody else. And, you know, there may be times we get distracted. But I, I like the interaction. And I, I like to know what you're thinking and what you're struggling with and what you're wondering. And so even though it's a big class, raise your hand, ask a question. If I think it's something that we're, that we're not going to, you know, that we're going to cover in much more detail in three weeks, I'll say, you know, it's a great question, but let's just put it off. Um, but, but I like interaction. So... Down there, uh, I encourage you to participate verbally. Um, get to know other students. You know, get to know know each other. God, God put us all together for a reason here. And uh, the, uh, uh, you know, that 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 promise of the new covenant that they'll all be taught by God. I take with utmost seriousness. You know, it. Uh, I suspect in one in one sense that everything we talk about this semester, at one level, you'll already know. And at other levels, like vistas will open up. But it's vistas opening up on things you already sort of know and, and, and perhaps know better than I do and have more experience in certain areas. So uh, I, we're in it together. Let's interact with each other. Um, I say there at the bottom, don't even be afraid to ask stupid questions, right? Because if you're wondering something or if I made, if I made a, a leap in logic... It was perfectly clear to me, and I kind of teleported from you know one place to another. You may have no idea like what just happened, and like, odds are that some other people in the room also don't have any idea. So, really, ask ask your questions, and uh, 
and so forth. Um, out, next page, outside of class. Now, this, to my mind, there's two reasons you pay tuition. Okay? One reason is to, to get feedback, and a second reason is what's here. You bought, you're buying time. Right? You're buying time. You're basically saying, you know, whatever significant others pester you, you say, you know, sorry, I, I've got homework. <laughs> you know? And I love my homework. No, you don't say that, but I, you know, you're basically buying time. Opportunity to read, to think, to ponder, to wrestle, to try to make sense of things. So settle in your chair, read, think, respond. I really mean that next sentence there. Take your time with the reading. I would rather have you read part of the assignment well. Really think about it. Really get it as part of the operating system of how you work. And then I figure you'll be mo- even if you don't finish the assignment, you'll be motivated to finish the rest later. But get some of it in the hopper. You know, get something that you're chewing on. Don't just charge through to have it done. It, uh, so you know, take the time uh, to do the. Uh, do the reading. It, uh, there, there's always a tension, isn't there, in just the nature of, in the nature of wisdom. Proverbs two captures attention as well as anywhere. Starts out says, "Work, dig, apply yourself, struggle forward, apply yourself, dig more, dig for treasure, seek it, work hard. What you you will get out of it what you put into it. So go for it. You know you got to cross the Gobi Desert. You're going to sweat. So sweat, and then." About two verses later, it says, it's the Lord who gives wisdom. And James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously. And he doesn't reproach us for our lack and for our need. And that tension is one that just is everywhere in Scripture, isn't it? It's a gift. It's utter grace. Unless God gives it to you, you're not going to have it. On the other hand, work. Apply yourself. Because if you apply yourself, you will grow. You know, and you'll understand things. And you will get things that, you know, sitting here on September 9th, when you're sitting on December 9th, mailing in or handing in your final paper, there'll be things that are different, you know, ways you're putting the world together in a different way. Uh, here's here's where the flow of the assignments, okay? For next week, I want you to read the Mary case study. It's on pages 6 to 15. It's a lengthy case study, um, and that's for a reason. Well, I'll say a little bit about, more about it before we break tonight. But the, the reason it's a, it's a 10-page, single-spaced kind of case study. Part of my reasoning is this. I want you to feel a bit overwhelmed by her. Because it's really easy. In fact, if you read enough you know, psychology books and therapy books and, and, and self-help books, it's really easy to, to sell any point of view by these little bullet case studies, you know, you make some point, and you say you give three sentences about somebody's life, and you, you nod because it seems so plausible. But those things aren't so plausible once a person's life goes to you know Tolstoy length, you know Anna Karenina or War and Peace, or you know the real story on a person's life doesn't break down into such neat, tidy little categories. And uh, so I want us to to get hit in the face with a big case study, and I want you to think about it. And that. That particular uh, assignment for next week, I'm basically wanting you to ask one key question. What's her problem? What's wrong with her? You know, she's, she, life's not working for her, so what's off? And I'm not looking for the right answer. 
Okay, right there. In a way, this first assignment is designed to give me a baseline. And we're not even going to grade it, in fact. We're just going to, Reagan and I are just going to look at it. And just get a sense. Where are people coming from? When you encounter this person in living color, technicolor, you know, sight, sounds, and smells, what do you, how do you instinctively tend to put her together? What kind of sense do you tend to make of her life? Uh, that's what I want you to get, to get there. So basically just to give me a baseline, uh, but one of, my, one of my initial goals over the first two or three uh, weeks of our semester together is to get a sense of, of who are you, you know, where are people coming from. And this Mary Kay study is one way just of getting a sense, how are people tending to think? How are people putting the, putting the world together? And then the self-counseling project, which will be next, gives me a sense of, of who are you as people? You know, sort of where are you on you know, alligator-infested swamps and Gobi Desert and Himalayas and all that? So, Response paper, uh, I'll say more about what those are. There's a whole series of them. Uh, that one's pretty straightforward. I just put your thoughts about Mary into a concise one-page paper, you know, just how you put her life. The week after that, there are four articles on anger that are in your booklet. And anger makes a great case study. It is, uh, most years, uh, the self-counseling projects, the two biggest areas people pick are anger and fears. Uh, Anger, grumbling, grouchiness, bad attitude, bitterness, arguments. That is just so mainstream Human Nature 101, isn't it? And if you can make sense of anger and think your way through anger, you can think your way through anything. I mean, it's one of those transferable concepts kinds of, uh, kinds of things. It is no accident, for example, that when you think that it, of the list that Paul chose in Galatians 5 of the works of the flesh, there's 15 of them. They're just a sample. You know, works of the flesh are obvious, da 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 and the like. So he's choosing 15 random sample works of the flesh. Eight of them are in the anger family. It's interesting. You know, it's such a significant player in human relationships and in the way our hearts work. So uh, we'll pick that as a sort of case study in how does the Scripture, how does the eye of God, how does the Spirit make sense, orient us, and how does change take place? Uh, and that'll be our starting point. Um, response paper number two. Uh, this is something I've found to be a really good way to focus, but myself and others. Uh, read with your yellow highlighter, your pen in hand, and let's say you, you set a discipline. Let me highlight one sentence on each column, and then pick out of that two of the things you highlighted and respond. So basically, you know, basically what are the two things that most struck you? What, got, what, what rattled your cage or challenged you or confronted you or encouraged you or, you know, and... Uh, Talk about it, you know, interact with respect to yourself, other people, the Bible, lots of different ways you can take it. Um, also, what I want for that week, it's two weeks from now, I want you to, to decide, at least an initial decision, on what you think you're going to do for a self-counseling project. Uh, some of the discussion, that's on pages 16 to 21, and you might want to uh, take a peek at that in this coming week. We're going to talk in much greater depth about the self-counseling project in the first half of next week. So we will uh, go through that. But that's something you might want to start to, to pray about, think about, uh, ponder. And then the 23rd, hand in an initial proposal for a self-counseling project. September 30th is a Bible study uh, on 
I call it Paul and the Philippians. Uh, the pages aren't listed, but it's, I think these follow. I think it's, it must be pages 24 and following, I suspect. Uh, it's uh, essentially working through five chapters of the Bible. Acts 16, where Paul goes to Philippi, and then the four chapters of the book of Philippians. And uh, that's going to be an opportunity. We'll be then, what, three weeks into the semester, about to start our fourth evening together, and it's an opportunity to take the model that we'll be developing over the next couple of weeks and just start to, to work, work with the scripture directly in terms of, of uh, if the model I give you is a just one, if it's a fair, you know, systematic extraction out of scripture, then, it, it, you know, the, the exegetical, the, the biblical foundations in the model, the theological formulation will work well together. So dig in, think about that. Um, the seventh, as I said, no class. Those next three weeks in October, the 14th, 21st, and 28th, uh, we're going to use the last part of each evening to break up into some smaller groups. And again, we can't, 100 plus, we're not going to be able to get it down to 10 people, but I figure let's at least hack it into thirds and have a chance to take that last hour of those three nights for a free-for-all, you know, interaction. Um, you know, some of you may, uh, well, lots of reasons, shyness, uh, language, uh, just comfortability with public speaking. Um, you may, p- people may be you know, less forward in a group of 100 than they are in a group of 30. Uh, I know my problem when I was in school is I, I, I'm not someone who thinks out loud, so by the time I would think it through, we were four topics later. You know, it's a real hassle in family conversations at Thanksgiving because my, my in-laws, it's a family of repartee and back and forth, and it looks like I'm sitting there like a bump on a log. There's lots happening, but it just doesn't get out. It's not ready to come out, and it's four topics later, and the moment is lost, and you know, maybe that's you. So knowing that there's an evening where we'll just have Q&A and interaction, come prepared with your questions, or, you know, and so forth. And then there's these other people. I swear, there was one guy one year. He, was, he sat right over there, and I swear he had a board under his elbow, you know, <laughs> He had his hand up at absolutely every possible moment. And, you know, some of you may need to, like, rope yourself in a little bit and let other people talk. But uh, we're going to divide the class into three parts. These are not Law of the Medes and Persians. You can choose which one you want to be in, or maybe you fit in a couple categories. Westminster students, pastors and other Christian workers, and then CCF laypersons. And uh, most years that breaks up pretty much in thirds. But uh, if you're in two, two of those categories, you can take your pick. Um, October 14th, we're going to read three articles. And these are all on the topic of motivation. Remember that back of an hour or so ago I said, one of the big million-dollar questions is why do you do what you do? You get the why question answered straight, you become sane. You don't get the why question answered straight, you are permanently crippled. And the why question is the thing that the Bible is most interested in answering. So uh, we'll spend a lot of time thinking about the issue. You know, we're, our shorthand will be the issue of the heart. It's another way of, look, of saying it. It's the issue of the vertical dimension is the issue of why people do what they do. So we will, uh, we will look, look at that. The why question, the motivation question is the key, you might say, to aligning and orienting your worldview so that you're seeing people circumstances yourself, your reactions rightly. So it orients you, and then it's a signpost pointing 
to, to how one deals with problems and solves it, both there. That night, we'll, uh, we'll have the Westminster students come first. Uh, it's open discussion, so we may, ne- may never get to the question I'm posing. That's fine. Uh, if there's a lull in the conversation, uh, I'm gonna, uh, this question is one on my mind. I kind of alluded to it earlier. How does this course in personal ministry, practical theology, relate to the rest of the curriculum? You know, it's a good question. And uh, There's a couple of supplemental readings I suggest there uh, that you might want to do uh, to prepare there. Uh, it is a very key question. Uh, for the 21st of October, I want you to hand in a vignette for your self-counseling project. Uh, I'm not going to evaluate this. It's really just an opportunity for feedback uh, to come back to you. So uh, kind of get a midway check. You know, are, you, are, you, are you getting it? Are the things you're missing? Uh, that, that little vignette and the opportunity for us to interact with each other is, is often a really helpful time because uh, I, by this, I've, been, I've been doing this assignment probably for about 15 years. And so in that time, I have seen, I don't know, one to 2,000 of these. And, you know, you just deal with anything a lot, and you get a real sense for where do people miss it? You know, or where do they get it half right, but then they kind of get off into the swamp a little bit. And uh, to be able to interact uh, uh, can be very helpful. Uh, discussion group that night, pastors and other Christian workers. Again, open discussion. Uh, I gave another pump-priming question. It's one that's uh, often on my mind. Uh, what is the relationship between public ministry and personal ministry in your ministry? Uh, key question. I, I think for most people in, who are Bible, you know, take the Bible seriously, Christians, when you say the word ministry or say the word ministry of the word, there's almost an equal sign to the pulpit, to what I'm calling public ministry. And I think that's a un, very unfortunate equal sign, that ministry of the word, ministry... There, we ought to say that divides into what you could call the public aspects and the personal aspects. And so give an example uh, that, that public ministry, you might say, is broadcast ministry, right? Public ministry does not have your name on it. It's the way I like to think about it. So during our, our class here, what are we doing? We're doing public ministry, aren't we? I'm never going to say, you know, Sally or Joe or Willie, uh, I'm never going to start any sentences that way, right? We're going to talk generically. And in public ministry, that broadcast quality, you're dependent on each person and the individual work of the Lord for what a person does with it, aren't you? Personal ministry, you have this privilege. You have the opportunity to actually know somebody, to know their name their circumstances, their sufferings, their temptations, their sins, their gifts, their abilities, ways they've changed in the past, what they're facing. And there's this tremendous opportunity to tailor-make ministry to person. And, uh, the, uh, but that, you know, often that link is not made, uh, even in the way that the churches envision the whole nature of ministry. Uh, and you lose something that, that uh, uh, all kinds of great, uh, things happen when it's ministry with your name on it. So, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to veer on either direction. I mean, there's, it's a, it's a tremendous benefit to be able to do public ministry. You know, you might say both the broadcast, where you just sow the seed out to whoever's there, and then the personal, intimate conversation with someone who really knows you and cares about you. 
and both are very important. So you might want to think about that. And a couple other resources there. Uh, the 28th, uh, we've obviously, this has been threading through everything we've been, we've been doing, that, that ministry, change, counseling, discipleship, or originate in a redemptive plan of a redeemer. And that it's about the grace of God. And that the grace of God is the absolute without which nothing of the whole nature of change. That there is a person at work in people. Um, I've sometimes thought, you know, you know, we could all come up with our own list here. What's the mark of a Christian? What's the mark of a Christian? And you could answer it 20 ways, but one way that I think is really ought to be up front and center is that one of the key marks of a Christian is that there is evidence that someone else is at work in them. There's something about that person's life inexplicable by just what people are like. Somebody else is on the scene. You know, there's fingerprints on their life. Uh, one of the ways, one of the passages that I, well, two passages that bring that out just so vividly among 30,000 passages once you think about it. Uh, John 15, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. You can do lots without the Lord, right? But you can't do nothing. You can do nothing that lasts forever. Nothing that's true fruit. And I'm the vine, you're the branches. My father's the vine dresser. Those whom he loves, those who are in me, he prunes them. And the alternative to getting pruned is being hacked off. It's about a quarter of an inch, apparently, from what I understand (laughs) from people that do grapes. And pruning hurts, pruning, you know, but pruning is hands-on, right? People don't prune grape vines with a chainsaw. They prune with snip, snip, snip. And that sense of, of a personal God redeemer leading, guiding, touching, changing, working in real people in real time, in real places, facing real situations, with real sins and real gifts, dot, dot, dot. That is one of the marks of a Christian. It's, a, it's, the, it's one part of the gospel. It's the, it's the intimate, relational power of the Spirit and an and abiding presence of a shepherd. And, uh, so basically, there, we're going to be reading a few things there, a very short book by John Piper and a couple of articles on the centrality of, of the gospel of our Redeemer in the change process. And again, one of these, uh, pick two sentences and interact uh, responses. Um, discussion group, excuse me, that night, uh, CCF laypersons, again, open discussion. Uh, people are coming from so many different places that, uh, uh, you know, there may be people in that category who are, uh, you know, real involved in a ministry to crisis, you know, crisis pregnancy ministry, or real involved in ministering in a prison to, uh, you know, women who have done crimes, or you know, or, or it could be people where your interests here are more personal. You know, there are problems in your life, things you've been wrestling with. You want to get some some perspective. So it can really range again. There can be a gamut there from more various tons of different ministry concerns, personal concerns. And I'm I'm curious. You know, what's grabbed your attention? You know, what have you thought about? What what do you disagreed with? What did you like? What changed the way you thought? What haven't you quite figured out? and so forth, and so on. Um, again, I give some supplemental possibilities there. You might want to read supplementally. And by the way, any, anybody can do any of these supplemental readings. You might want to read 
on a topic pertinent either to your own ministry, you know, place, got people God puts you next to, or to your self-counseling project. Uh, and I give some suggestions there. Uh, Fear of Man, you know, Ed Welch's book, People Are Big, God is Small. How many people have read that, by the way? It, uh, yeah, quite a few of you. you know, just, just a terrific uh, analysis of a problem that, you know, you can walk into Barnes & Noble's self-help section, and there are 50 books on the same topic, and they all get it wrong compared to a way that Ed gets it right. You know, the problem he's dealing with is a problem that 130 years ago they called it neurasthenia. You know, you'll still, still hear often, usually it's elderly people who um, probably more often blue-collar, uh, often, more often women, will say something like, you know, I just got bad nerves. Why are they saying that? That's really the echo we're hearing from neurasthenia, which was the way of describing the kind of people Ed is describing, right? And then in the early 1900s, it was neurotic was the word. You know, what's a neurotic person? Well, they're a wreck. You know? They're an anxious, nervous, frustrating, flighty, you know, wanting to be liked but rejecting. You know, they're confused. In the 80s, they started to call such people codependents. But it's the exact same phenomenon of human struggle, pathology, darkness, confusion. It's talking about that, you know, under the heading fear of man, let alone just the ordinary, the fact that when you lose God at the center, you tend to key your world off of yourself and others and some combination thereof. Pride, fear of man. Those are themes we're going to come at from 50 different directions. Eating disorders, uh, Elise Fitzpatrick's book, uh, just a nice straight-on, analysis of uh, some very common life problems. Uh, where, where's, the, uh, where's your proof text in the New Testament for eating disorders? I actually quoted it a few minutes ago. The works of the flesh are obvious, dot, 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 and the like. They're a problem, aren't they? What are they? Well, they're, they're, they're the thing that the Bible talks about as the works of the flesh. There's, and the works of the flesh that's a behavior. It's what you do. It's how you live. And it grows out of the desires of the flesh. There's something wrong in the way this person is wanting, fearing, constructing identity, what they're aspiring to, living for, and it leads to a lifestyle. And the, uh, Elise does a nice job of getting to the, you might say, getting to the deeper issues going on with eating disorders. Uh, sexual immorality. There's been lots written. In uh, the journal, there's a whole issue on that. Depression, ditto, some special issues. Anger, you'll be reading some articles, and there are some others you might find interesting. Anxiety, uh, I realized as I was looking through this, I forgot to put Ed Welch's book on addictions. Uh, again, if, if your self-counseling project or people you work with is anywhere in that area, uh, his book, uh, Banquet in the Grave, is just so insightful and helpful. So... Uh, Ask me for any suggestions on other topics if, you, uh, if you're so moved. November 4th, No Assignment. Uh, you've got a couple weeks to read. That's a little bit longer book, Sinclair Ferguson's The Christian Life. Sinclair does a really nice job of uh, um, presenting just the big doctrines. This is a systematic theology book, but don't, you know, don't let that intimidate you. It, it's, it's practical systematic theology. He's a pastor. And he's writing in, in, a, in a way that's pastoral and personable. 
about issues of repentance and God's, how does God choose us and justification by faith and what does it mean to be God's child and you know, so forth and so on. It, uh, good book. It, uh, again, it will serve us as a kind of backdrop. We're not going to necessarily cover all the topics that Sinclair covers, but they are presumed throughout what we'll be doing. So, yes. Yes. Yeah. So basically, it'll let us have 35 people, not 105. So, yeah. Yeah. Smaller groups. So we'll take, well, probably those nights, we'll take our break about 8.15 and then shoo off two-thirds of the group and, and one-third can, can stick around and shoot the fat, chew the fat. Okay. You know, we should, I should probably say no. You know, I mean, no, no, I mean, I, no, don't do it. Not no, I don't mind. The purpose is to create a smaller group. So the, uh, and we could keep the tape recorder running and uh, someone could pick it up later. But, uh, yeah, take your pick. You know, there's always more. It, I, I do see this course as a, as a launch pad, not a final thing. So hence I'm giving reading suggestions. You know, at some point in, the, in, our, in our course, I'll take 15 minutes to just talk about where this course fits in the light of other courses in biblical counseling. Um, so I, you know, take a start and get what you get and then keep on learning later. So any other questions floating around? Just, yes. Yes. No, respond, everything that has a little bullseye is on a piece of paper and I get it. Okay. So, yeah. I'll say more about what's, what I have in mind for them in a minute. Yes. These are, the reading material, yes, the reading material, articles are, are articles from the Journal of Biblical Counseling, which CCF produces. Uh, you can get them over there, give a phone call to Kimberly Hahn, uh, who uh, handles all that end of things. Um, and that's CCF's number, and you're wanting to re- reach Kimberly Hahn or Journal of Biblical Counseling office. And why don't I know it? The number. I, I only, is it 141? I'm only the editor of the journal. So I don't even know our number. It's, it's extension 141. Yeah. But uh, jur- articles are there. You can get books. I think, I think virtually all these books will be at the uh, uh, Westminster Bookstore. Uh, they're also, they're all published books, so they're all available, you know. Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. You're not going to get them at Barnes & Noble you know, over in Abington. But uh, Westminster Bookstore online or CCF's bookstore is called Resources for Changing Lives. Uh, and uh, these would be findable in those sources. So, okay. Pardon? That's, you know, we had a discussion just today about that. He's asking, are there artic- journal articles online? There's about a half dozen of them that are just sort of a sample and it's actually been a debate as to should we put everything online. Some, uh, you know, you look back and you see old articles and you think like, did we really believe that? <laughs> you know? So in some ways you're embarrassed by some stuff. But the, uh, there is a CD-ROM coming out. I think the, the initial version is going to be, hopefully be distributed later in the fall. They'll have the last 25 years of the journal. Um, and it is still a debate how much of the journal to put online. But, uh, yeah. Yes? Oh, no, no. It, all, everything that's not a book, you should have in your extended syllabus. People, what if you didn't get one? 
How many people did not get one? Ah. Did they run out or did you just come in late? Malcolm? Do you know? Okay. Why? You need the Mary Kay study for next week. So call tomorrow, uh, call Karen Barnard, and let her just stick it in the mail. You'll get it by the end of the week. To, uh, the Mary, just ask for the Mary Kay study part. Okay. So it looks like about a half dozen of you. Yeah. Or if you've got a friend here that could just run off 10 pages on a Xerox machine. Okay. Okay, moving right along here. Um, the 18th. This, these, are, these are very different articles from the rest uh, in, this, in, our, in our class. These are all articles on worldview. Now, this course is essentially a, you might call it, it's a positive course. It's a statement of a way of thinking biblically and, and living to God's glory around the issues of change and suffering and sin and idolatry and faith and so forth and so on. But we don't exist in a vacuum, right? Everything I say is in a context of a culture that believes very different things. You know, hence my little aside about, you know, you go to the self-help section at Barnes & Noble, you won't find either Ed's book or books that align reality the way Ed does. In other words, we live in a culture where the gospel and biblical truth conflict at, uh, not the, they don't conflict at the level of many of the observations. I mean, you know, uh, the Renfrew Clinic on Eating Disorders and Elise Fitzpatrick see the same problems. They can even describe them in some of the same language. They mean completely different things and go different directions. You know, so you know, there, there's, there's a, there is a culture issue, a culture clash issue. And these are all articles on thinking through, okay, how do I put together my set of commitments, my philosophy of understanding counseling and change and people and so forth and so on? What's the nature of motivation, uh, given the backdrop of the culture that, that's around us? Um, we can say more about any of these as we get closer to them. Uh, the 25th, that's our last class. It's the... Uh, I think it's the day before, it's the two days before Thanksgiving, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this is essentially this lowest case study. It's at the end of your extended syllabus, those of you who've gotten that. That is essentially our equivalent of a final exam in the course. There's not going to be an exam that requires you to, you know, access and, and put forth a collection of facts. It's open book. It's, you can read Lois. You've got notes. You've got books. You've got thoughts. You've got your Bible. You've got... You know, any resources except other people, you know, that are, are available to you. Uh, and it's another case study. You know, we'll, we'll open with one case study, we'll close with another. Uh, the opening case study is really just a baseline. The last case study is, is essentially a way of, from my point of view and Reagan's, is a way of, of saying, did you get what we've been talking about for the last three months? You know, are you able to think about this person's life and make sense of what happened. And, and in a sense, take it apart, put it back together. Uh, so it's going, to be, it's going to be one place where you may, I mean, you may think that, that everything we say in the whole semester stinks and it's all wet and there's a better way to do it. Fine, you're totally entitled to your opinion. But on this one, I will want you to at least be able to replicate what the course teaches and say, here's how, you know, here's how the point of view we've been looking at would take apart and put back together this person's life. Uh, I'm going to look for the clarity of your analysis, the concreteness of your ability to minister to her, 
um, and so forth. We'll explain more as we, as we get along. That's our last class, as I've said. Uh, so when it says for December 9th, that's two weeks after class ends. And that's when two other projects are due. Self-counseling project and a minist- short ministry paper. Um, as I say there, if you're, you can either hand it in person or if you're mailing it, uh, postmark it by that date. Um, now, what, we've run through quickly through the assignments. Let me explain what I have in mind by these assignments. And then if there's any other questions, we can... We can uh, this will probably answer a bunch of the questions. What's a response paper? Okay. A response paper is an interaction with something. So I've, I put it very specifically. Pick two sentences that grab you, interact with them. There's two ways you can run a... Well, there's lots of ways you can run a strand of response paper. Uh, well, I'm thinking of three, so maybe I'll think of five more while I'm talking. But one way you run a strand of response paper is it's just a book report of what was written. Now, I've already read the book and most of the articles I wrote, so you don't have to tell me what's in it. I know what's in it. You know? What I want to see is what in it struck you and what in it struck you? What are the implications of that? How would those two sentences change the way you ministered to people, the way you thought about your own life, the way you love someone, the way you worship God? It, you know, the way your church operated. It doesn't have to always just be personal in the, the I, me, my sense. I mean, it's personal in the, your church, your denomination, your ministry, your, you know, the people you love, the people you're with. Some kind of interaction there. Second way that a response paper can run off the rails is it's just about you. You know, well, I read this you know, article on anger, and boy, I'm just, I get so full of wrath, and I curse in traffic, and you, know, and you come up for air, and it's been essentially three pages of ventilating all your own personal problems. And you may as well have not read the article. You know? So I don't want either of those, right? Interaction. I'd say the third way that response papers run off the rails is they take a whole, it's, a, it's meant to be a one to two page paper. So it's sh- short, you don't have to say everything. Is that you take the first page, and I call it clearing your throat. You know? I found this book so interesting this is the first book I ever read that was on this, partic- you know, this particular topic. And I hadn't really thought about this before. And you see, you've just used four or five lines and you haven't said anything. So you can just ax all that throat clearing and just jump right in. You know? This sentence struck me. And these are the reasons. Our small group, you know, when someone's struggling with something, we do this. And if this is right, and I, and I believe it is biblically, it would change the way we handled people who suffer. See, there you've gotten right into what it means, and you haven't spent a page clearing your throat and, and uh, uh, been either too subjective or too objective. Okay? There's a great quote there by Jonathan Edwards at the end of that, top of page five, first full paragraph. May it be true of you what was said of Jonathan Edwards. His theology was all application. His application was all theology. If you read something like Leadership Magazine, it's all application and no theology. If you read the Westminster Theological Journal, bless its heart, I love it, I love the people who write for it, but it's all theology and no application. You know, it doesn't live up to Jonathan Edwards. And this course, I want us to live up to that. That's, pra- that's PT, practical theology, the rivet. 
Life, ministry, people, need, struggle, sin, redemption, gifts, God, grace, history, real time, you know, the rivet going in there. Okay. Response paper. Any questions on the response paper? Oh, I, actually, I didn't say any of the practicalities. Oh, it should be typed. Now, there's always a few people that don't have typewriters. If you, like, aced penmanship class, <laughs> you know, and you plead, like, then you can handwrite it. But there's an awful lot of papers to read. And typing is just a whole lot easier. It's nice to not have it be nine-point type, single-spaced, you know, because you knew it was only a page, and you had, like, an 11-page paper to write, so you, you know, just jammed it all in, and you need a mic- magnifying glass to read. You know, create some lines between, space in the lines, so that whether it's Reagan or myself who reads it, it can be some comments or interaction. Um, it's a little more leisurely reading, especially for old people like me that like, now use 14-point type just so they can read it on their computer screen. Um, so type it. They are informal, so you don't have to worry about footnotes, citations, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you want to just put in parentheses the page number of whatever you're quoting, fine. But uh, uh, you don't even have to do that if you don't want to. Just, you know, just write the paper. It's a response paper. It's not a, a theological treatise. Okay. Any questions on the format of those? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I would prefer that it's got a little bit of space, so one and a half, two. Yeah. You know, we, could, we could go on and on. I mean, you know, PICA, you know, elite, you know, 12 point. Uh, the Times, you get a whole lot more in than the, you know, Baroni or Bordoni or whatever those. So, you know, you make it a pleasure to read and we'll all do fine. But, uh, yes. Oh, yes. Hi. We'll I'll explain what that is in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those are response papers. There's eight of them of various sorts, lots of different sorts. Ministry paper, three to five pages. Um, what this is doing is it, this is part of that flow through where you're taking what we've been talking about and I want you to apply it to somebody else. Apply it to other lives. Apply it to your church. Apply it to your kids. Apply it to your neighbor, apply it to your wife, your husband, you know, the drunks that you work with, whatever it is, non-Christians, you name it. Uh, It's a ministry paper. And what I want you to do is essentially you draw the rivet between scripture and life for someone else. Now you could pick, uh, well, I'll get there. That was number three. I I, I lay out here three possible ways you could do this. and perhaps they roughly map onto Westminster students, pastors and other, other Christian workers, and CCF laypersons. Perhaps, but feel free to not, not fit tidily in that. One possibility is to pick a particular passage of Scripture and work it. Make it, make it sing. Take it apart. Do an exegesis. Do your theological analysis in a way that drives it home into where people live, struggle, need redemption, and so forth. I, I give a bunch of examples there. Uh, these, are, uh, these are things all from the Journal of Biblical Counseling. There's a number of expositions of the Psalms, wisdom literature, other wisdom literature. Uh, there was a whole issue on the book of Ephesians that we did, whole issue of the journal on the book of Ephesians. It is essentially trying to operate in this PT genre, this practical theology mode, where you're always drawing the rivet. Yes? 
Could be either. Yeah, could be a big chunk, a little chunk. You know, it. Uh, you know that the uh, the ones I did, I did Psalm 10 and Psalm 131. Two of those that Paul Tripp did Psalm 73, so forth and so on. It uh, Ed's Ed's article I gave as an example on on your view of pain. That's less. That's a more theological one than an exegetical. That'd be another way to go. Uh, but you could pick a you could pick one verse. You could pick six verses. You could pick a psalm. You could pick a chapter. Your choice. But what I want you to do is make sure you go from the the understanding of the passage to how would this how does this get used? How does this impact human life and bring about redemption? So. Another possibility is to work up a message, some kind of teaching, sermon, Sunday school teaching, you know, women's Bible study talk, whatever it is, that does the same riveting. Um, I want you to do this in a way different from how you usually do it. Show the influence of the course. Uh, 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 again, I've read hundreds of these over the years. It, uh, where does the first one go astray? It goes astray when you, f- you fall back into old habits and you just exegete the passage. And it never actually connects, or the or the application is tacked on at the end. You know, let it be everywhere. You know, let the let the application be the way the scripture does, where it's always going right at people, right from the get go. You know, never wasting no no throat clearing, no theological backdrop goes right at people, and then it brings the theology richly to bear as it goes. The way that number two goes astray is you end up doing it the same way you always did, and and the the ones that don't work there are ones where I, I look at and I say, you know, I, I just don't know if that person was in the course. You know, it, didn't, it didn't bear any evidence of the marks that the things we talked about had shaped the way they do public ministry, which is as we've been looking at them. That's also part of this larger definition of counseling, isn't it? Um, tonight, we're doing counseling in the way that I'm meaning the word, aren't we? But in the broadcast public ministry form. And then the third option is, is a more personalized one. Pick one question that has most occupied you, perplexed you in the course. It could be a biblical question. It could be a problem someone else struggles with. It could arise from your own self-counseling issue and you're wanting to think it through for somebody else. How would you help someone else? That's the essential there. Um, I remember one of the really um, excellent projects uh, a couple of years ago was a woman who had a ministry. She was a woman, probably about 40, uh, had, had come to Christ out of a very rocky past herself, and she had all kinds of, of non-Christian friends and lots of opportunity to interact with people who were drunks. That was the world she'd come from. And she wrote, essentially, a tract for drunks that sought to make the point of contact, be biblically faithful, and talk to the very kind of people that she had used to be, had used to been, and the people that she interacted with. Again, that would be an example of number three. Um, and we will talk, we can talk throughout the semester as you, you know, we don't need to say much more about this tonight. Uh, you're getting this bombardment tonight, and just let it kind of trickle down, and as the weeks unfold, we'll get lots of other chances to interact about things. Um, next page, self-counseling project. We will go into great detail on that next week, as I mentioned. Um, that, those italics are very important. In order to show a depth of wise reflection and be of real use, you must work on it throughout the semester. You must work on it throughout the semester. It's part of why I'm putting 
little checkpoints, you know, like you got to hand in a proposal in two weeks, and a month later I want to see a vignette. Uh, you know, it, it's for your benefit. Um, it is always a, a kind of a, a tragic comic when someone will pick the problem. It's such a common problem of procrastination, you know, <laughs> and you'll usually get, you know, a half dozen people in the class like this size will pick procrastination as something that they think God wants to wants to change and. Uh, you can imagine those italics really apply, you know, because the very problem invites you to put off till tomorrow, which you really don't want to do today. So you know, uh, work on it. You know. That next sentence is also really important. There's nothing quite like experiencing the change process from the inside. And I'd probably tweak that. There's also nothing quite like experiencing how hard it is to change, the struggle to change to make you a more helpful counselor. The, the, it is not an unsuccessful self-counseling project if you struggle. You know? I mean, some of, the, some of the really good ones over the years have actually been the ones where, you know, I picked this problem, and I kind of was going to take one more crack at my besetting sin and figuring I'd now I'll lick it. And I realized that that, that problem was one that has tentacles and roots and extends through a thousand other things in my life that I never really realized. And I also realized how much, you know, I'd always tended to be a little bit pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of person, and I have been forced to realize, God be merciful to me, the sinner, and my appreciation of my need for a Savior to die bloody death and to one day come back that I would see him face to face and be made like him. That has become precious to me. And I still struggle with this, you know, See, that's not, nece- that's not an necessarily an unsuccessful self-consting project. Something actually quite profound has happened in that. It's just that your life hasn't become necessarily all neat and tidy. Well, guess what? You're going to go out and, into a whole world where a lot of people are going to have that same kind of you know, crawling on the ground, sometimes hopefully even just pointed in the right direction, kind of, of, of Christian... Uh, Faith And how will you minister to such people with where you never lose hope? You're always able to hold out something, and yet you never become, you know, embittered and discouraged and, you know, casting poxes on people that really don't need poxes cast on them and so forth. Um, uh, one of the things that certainly will come through throughout the entire semester is, uh, this, these are, this is the phrase of a, of a man that, uh, uh, this, was, this was his description of what he when he was really honest, this is what he had been looking for. He said, I'm the kind of person who wants two verses and three steps. And there aren't that, are there? There aren't two verses and three steps. There's not, you know, I could put a whole lot of words there. There's not formula, right? There's not quick fix. There's not, pen. well, there's, in fact, there is one quick fix. It's called the return of the Lord. Right? <laughs> that will be a very quick fix when all of a sudden, it's all fixed, but everything short of that is long, slow fixing. It's process. And a lot of my goal as a, as a teacher is that we would, in a sense, just become more oriented towards the long run, you know, that, that swamps, Gobi Desert, Himalayas. And how do you keep heading in the right direction in a life that is always going to deal new sufferings, new setbacks, and new unimagined depths to indwelling sin. 
and new opportunities to grow and to, to bless people even as an imperfect person in the need of grace. So the uh, no bad answers, no quick fixes, but a lifetime orientation to the nature of the, the actual battle that we're in. Okay? And as, as again I said, we'll, we'll say, as I said, we'll say more about that next week. Grading, our sister here asked. Um, sole purpose of the grade is, is accountability. Uh, I actually think grades can be very helpful. It, uh, they, they are there as a kind of challenge. You, you come into this course with certain goals. You're making a commitment. You're wanting to be here. And it's a way to say, here's how it, you know, here's how you did. You know, it, it, you, you, you really got it. You did a particularly creative job. Or it's just, it's good, basic, solid work. Lord bless you. Or most often the grades that go, go low are, are, lack, are lack of effort kinds of things. You, know, you just didn't put in, you know, and it was sloppy and whipped off at the last minute kind of thing. And that always tells in, uh, in ministry. It always tells in, in, uh, in writing and so forth. Um, put off the competitiveness or the fear of failure that lurks within and competes with biblical goals. It, uh, you know, that... We could we could take us we could take three hours on on just the various things that contribute to that. Why do we get in such knots in educational settings? What are the bogus value systems that tend to run through educational settings? How do our hearts embrace those value systems? And then what are the the zillion different little kinks that come because we've embraced a bogus value system? Um, but uh, you know even if even that issue uh, is one that uh, that we can grow on. Um, the italicized word there, disciples of Jesus are learners. Uh, I cannot emphasize this enough. I've got a, I've got a good friend who uh, was a, um, headed a mission agency for a number of years, evaluated scores of would-be missionaries. So you got the whole gamut of different gifts and interests. And, and he said the, the more he, he worked in that job, the more he realized that at the end of the day there was one criteria that was crucial. Is this person teachable? If they are not teachable, we do not want them. They might have the most spectacular gifts that ever hit the planet. We don't want them if they're not teachable. Because what they will minister is their own pride and arrogance and success and ability to have it all together. And they're supposed to be ministering to people who are the broken of the earth who need redemption. They need to be teachable. They need to be people who are fundamentally poor in spirit. And, uh, you know, and you could then just run, run to the head of your queue uh, any number of different passages of Scripture. I'll just mention one, Proverbs 9, 8 and 9. It basically says, if you don't listen, if you're not teachable, you, you are a fool. The wise man listens. Instruct a wise man, he becomes wiser still. And it's, it's, a, it's, again, one of these tensions. It's very curious, isn't it, that a wise person, by definition, is very committed to certain things as being true. And at the same time, they're able to have their cage rattled. They're able to be changed. Not changed like the fool who can be, have his mind changed to idiocy and folly and sin, but changed, developed, to grow, and so forth. Um, another, another comment uh, on this. I just think I think it's very interesting when, uh, even when we think about the words we use to describe ourselves as God's people, 
And I think probably the most common designation that we use is Christian, isn't it? You know, it's the Christian church and, and so forth. And Christian is a great word. It's interesting that that word is only used in the New Testament three times. And each time it's actually used in context where it's, it's spoken of in a way that other people are talking about those people. Those people over there follow this Messiah, this Christ. And it's actually, uh, it's not to say it's wrong for us to say, I'm a Christian. It's a good word. But it's not the identity statement, you might say, that most floats to the surface in the scripture. The others that are much more common, saint, child, son and daughter, those are, those are big. But you know what the most common one is? Disciple. Learner, changer, grower. Becoming what you aren't yet. That's the most common self-designation, and, uh, and for a good reason. So uh, that's what we want. So put off the fear, put off the competitiveness, uh, grow. Uh, here's the way that we'll break it out uh, by percentages. The Mary, uh, these are the different response papers. Mary, anger, Philippians, the motivation articles, the grace of the gospel articles, Sinclair Ferguson, counseling worldview. And then the uh, lowest case study, ministry paper, and self-counseling will, will weigh more, the things towards the end. Uh, auditors are li- listeners, uh, not participators. You're perfectly free to, to participate in, in class conversation uh, if you're an auditor. Uh, the one thing I would ask is, it's the obvious, but not to ask questions that if you're, if you're not doing the work in reading, it would have been answered if you had. You know, I mean, don't ask a question, you know, what was that article about? That's pretty obvious. I, no one's ever violated that, but I might be worth saying. Okay. Uh, administration. It is a big class. Uh, there's some logistics that we need to work out. So this is totally boring, but uh, will make life better for all of us. Okay. Number one, I want the class to work for you. Okay. So if things are not working, speak up. Don't, every, every, sad to say, just about every year, someone gets in a jam. They get behind, someone gets sick in their family, someone dies, they have to take a trip, they, they procrastinate, they're running behind, they feel so embarrassed, so ashamed, and then in November, they surface, and, and there's been no work, and everybody's in a panic. It, uh, talk, okay? Ask help. You know, it, it, if we don't embody the very things we say the course is about, faith working through love, then we're just hypocrites. So uh, we want to help you. I know that Julie wants to help you, and Karen Barnard, my secretary, wants to help you, and Reagan wants to help you. So pipe up if, uh, if there's a problem. Talk to each other. You know? uh, help each other. Uh, there are going to be unavoidable things that happen, just the way life is, and we'll work to help you get caught up. If you're a Westminster student, there are... There are Quite strict guidelines on extensions, incompletes, that kind of thing. Make sure you fill them. You know, I, I can't override policy. So be in touch with Donna Conley if you're starting to get it. Let me know, but then go talk to Donna. If you're a CCF student, uh, there's, there's often more ways we can work around. If you're, I was talking to a gentleman during the break. If, he, if he's, you know, he's got a busy work life, not sure he can handle the workload, there may be ways where he could apply for an extension and, get a bit of a, a longer time to do some of the work. So just let us know, you know, don't get in a jam. Second point there, make any requests to hand in work late to Karen Barnard, okay? And as I say there, uh, 
If you talk to me about it in class, you'll get a very sympathetic ear. But it won't do you any good because I'm not keeping track of everything. You'll also get a sympathetic ear from Karen, and she might even pray for you, just like I might, you know. But uh, uh, work it out with her. She's gonna. What Karen's gonna do? So to keep the this, you know, let's say there's a hundred people, each of you hands in ten items. That's a thousand pieces of paper. Karen's gonna just track everything that comes in, and then everything goes back out to make sure that nothing gets lost in the shuffle. So let her be the point person on that. Um, in fact, let me say a word about those all those hundreds of pieces of paper. Uh, this, this would be a, 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 the best format, for, as, from my point of view, typed, right? We've talked a little bit about that. Put a cover page on it, that name and clearly identifying what the article is, what, what the thing you're doing is. That's very helpful because, you know, things will come in probably a little bit out of sequence at times. You know, someone takes a trip, misses a week, they hand in something late, you know, to be able to quickly sort into the respective piles. Uh, Put your name, put the name of the project on it, and if you could put on its destination once we're done with it, which is, there's two destinations, a Westminster mailbox or a CCF student. Uh, if it's a CCF student, what, what we'll do when we're handing things back is we'll put them out here on the, on the stage from A to Z, and people can get their papers before class. If it's a Westminster student, You'll get it in your box. Okay, so let us know where, where to target it. Uh, put it up, as I said, put a co- cover sheet. One of the nice things about a cover sheet is I like I, I liked to, and I'm going to encourage Reagan in the same, I like to grade blind. You know? So I fold it over, shuffle them all up. So I'm just getting what's here. You know? So I like to look at it blind. So I'm not, you know, I mean, there's people I know. There's, you know, people that I, usually there are people I like, and I'm tempted to go, you know, benefit them, but conceivably there could be someone I didn't like and, you know, you might you know, put a cover sheet, we can fold it over, we can, uh, you know, get it blind. The other thing, and this might seem like a really small thing, it is a small thing, but it makes a difference. Use a staple, not a paper clip. If you've ever been a teacher, <laughs> paper clips have this, they're like magnets for other people's papers and they get stuck and then they rip off and then the papers are all loose and staples. One of the great inventions. Okay, the, uh, A week before the end of the semester, I'll post a list. Karen will post it, really. I mean, Karen will generate this. With all the assignments that, according to our records, are missing. That'll be helpful because it'll let you know, you know, it'll either remind you that you didn't get something in or it will uh, say, wait a minute, I handed that in. In fact, I even got it back and you don't have record of it. You know? So it lets us make sure we don't get to the end of the semester and, and uh, work has not been misplaced. Now, it's obviously advisable if you've got a computer to save your copies. Um, number four, if you want an extension, I mentioned this. Donna at Westminster, Julie at CCEF. Um, uh, there's the way we're getting them back. I already said something about that. And then the sixth comment there, in order to get your final papers back after the semester, uh, either the Westminster box or a self-addressed stamped envelope, if you would, because it's... Uh, you know, they end up being pretty heavy, and you're getting three or four different things back usually by then. There's a few comments on when grades will come in. Okay, any uh, questions on all that administration? It's nice to get through that. You know, that's, this is the one day we have to do some of that, but we'll be on to the, the good stuff for the rest.
We've got 10 minutes. Let me just introduce the Mary case study. If you want to turn the page, those of you who've got the lengthy extended syllabus, page 6. Take a look at that. Uh, here's, here's what's happening in this. Uh, first page, I'm calling it Initial Impressions. Okay? And maybe this, this, this sometimes frustrates people because um, I, I run about a half dozen possible scenarios. And I, and I hope you can get over through the frustration. So actually, the nice thing about that is, is it gives you a little bit of a sense everybody's different. You know? So there's this Mary, quote-unquote. But Mary's going to take on a somewhat different configuration every single one you meet. By the way, the, 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 this will probably be of interest to you. There, there is one person who was probably laid behind about 60% of this. Uh, some, uh, someone I knew about 20 years ago. And... Uh, uh, although all identifying details have been altered to protect the guilty kind of thing. So the, uh, but it's also a composite of lots of other people. So if you, if you think that I've been reading your diary, I haven't. It's a, it's a made-up person, but with, a, with lots of reality behind the, the fiction, as it were. Um, then from the bottom of page six, what you'll, what you'll then see, uh, the comple- as you get to know her, whatever the original situation the complexities start to unfold because you're tumbling into a real life. And there's a couple, about a page and a half then, pages seven, half of eight, are on her emotional life. Why am I starting there? I'm starting there because that's where she starts. You know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be model, theology, past, system here, but she's a person who is fundamentally wired around her feelings. And that's going to be a starting point for getting a bead on where, you know, what does she deal with? You'll notice there that there's a lot of the more, quote, negative feelings, the more dysphoric, they don't feel good type feelings. But then the bottom of page seven, and this is part of that, let's not view people as pathologies. Let's not view people as diagnoses. Not all Mary's significant emotions are troublesome. There's lots of good things. You know, this, she's not an axe murderer. You know, she's, you know, she's not a lunatic. And even lunatics have lots of good things, lots of redeeming qualities. You know, I, I worked four years in psychiatric hospitals and, you know, Locked ward, and there was not a person that was not, that was not still a person, you know. And so you get the mix of God's creatures, the good, the bad, and so forth. So there are things, her joys, her loves, intimacy, aesthetics, all that. Um, middle of page eight, she's not just a feeler. She's got thoughts and behaviors. And I, I uh, talk about the, briefly about the relationship of thoughts and behaviors to each of those emotions. And then I particularly unpack a set of behaviors that are very uh, significant for Mary, that are sort of two-thirds of the way down page eight. Many things she does which might be broadly classified as escapes or you know, empty cisterns in which she's looking for meaning, things she's turning to to try and make her life work. And so we look at that for a couple of pages. Um, middle of page 10, uh, there, the uh, kind of jerk your chain a little bit there, about 40% of the way down. What if Mary, she's got a lot of problems, but then what if she's only a variant on everyone, every man, every woman, right? Misusing food, sex, medicine, work, rest, exercise, church. She's not an extreme case study. We've only turned up the microscope's power in looking at normal. In fact, Mary's very normal. I mean, Mary would be a wonderful person to live next door to you. 
you'd like having her as a neighbor, you know. But she's got a lot of problems, you know. She's, she needs redemption. She needs a savior. And the case study is trying to bring out some of that. The, uh, from the bottom of uh, page 10, a whole bunch of issues about her identity, her self-image, or the way she thinks about herself. Um, her identity as a Christian, as a wife, and so forth. Uh, bottom of page 11, she's not just a feeler, an actor, a thinker, and a, and a judge. She's a bodily creature. We live embodied lives, and our bodies play out. We're gonna, you know, we are going to continually be locating people, there are the human struggle in its context, both physical and social. And uh, she's, a, she's located physically, and then from page 12 and following, she's also embedded in many relationships. We're going to look at husband, children, would-be helpers, girlfriends, God, parents, wider society. And then you get to the bottom of 15. What is her problem, anyway? How do you put it together? Where do you begin? Okay, that's where we'll get going next week. Let me close in prayer. And if there's any other questions lingering, you can uh, just come search, seek me out. Our God and Father, we ask you that the things of which we speak and the things we, every one of them, that you yourself would animate, challenge, instruct, alter, enrich. We need you. We thank that there's not been a thing that we have thought, done, felt, pondered, imagined that has escaped your notice. We, we live before the face of the all-knower. And our desire is that what you notice, you would be pleased to speak into with power, with truth, with grace, and that you would bring about good things in our lives. We pray that the body of Christ, Lord, would become stronger pulpit ministries would become more penetrating, that ministries of all sorts would become more real and helpful, that our families would become more honest, that our workplaces would be made places where there is a greater integrity, a greater candor, less pretend. And most of all, we pray that you would make yourself known and we would know you and love you and seek you to your praise and glory. We ask this in Jesus Christ's great name. Amen.